kilda everyone um i was just saying it's quite nice that like there's a few new faces so it kind of feels a little bit less daunting sometimes than like people you already know like what they what they're going to respond and stuff so it's awesome to have so many new people here though um so yeah i'm just going to dive right into it um to start things off i want to give a bit of info about me who i am um yeah so you just have a bit of context for some of the things that i might share um yeah, and the background that my faith has been cultivated in. For some, um, this might be like super relatable and for others it might not resonate as much. So yeah, just take what you want from this. Um, also, I come from a Pentecostal background. So if anyone wants to yell out some like, so good, or so like, come on, um, you'll just make me feel right at home. So just, just welcome you into that space. Yeah, go for it. Tonight's your night. Um, yeah, so as Rose said tonight, I'm going to be speaking about worship. Um, and this is my story when it comes to worship. Yeah, she's got it already. Just follow Alana. Um, yeah, so my story about worship may not resonate as much with you. Um, but yeah, I hope there's something um, that you can take away from this. Um, and I want to preface that when I say worship, um, I'm not meaning just happy, clappy, everything's all good, um, smooth, singing a song worship. Um, but yeah, I mean worship in both the smooth and the rough seasons of life. Um, and I'm also going to pose a couple of questions tonight. So, um, yeah, have a, have a bit of a think at the time, um, but we're also going to come back to it at the end. So, yeah, there's an opportunity for some time of reflection um, as we go through this. So, some of my favourite parts of life. Um, I'm married to Tommy, um, who shared the like funny, good story before. Um, yeah, I love hanging out with my family um, and spending time with friends. Um, I was born in the Hawke's Bay, where I spent um, early years of life, which was quite cool. Um, yeah, love it. Um, and began to explore faith um, as a little girl when I was there. I was really lucky to, um, well, for me, I was grateful to have grown up in a Christian family. Um, and I also had some really cool grandparents who literally prayed for um, me and my brothers and my cousins every single day. Um, which is a blessing and a curse at times. Um, there was times when we'd get in trouble at school and um, my parents would say, oh, that's because your grandparents pray for you for your sins to be found out. And we're just like, oh man, like not again. Like everyone else gets away with that, but not us. Like the Lord is always watching. Um, yeah, but they, um, they taught me a lot about the character of Jesus as well, which is quite cool. Um, when I was four, I had my first big role um, in the production at church. Um, as an angel. So that was quite a highlight moment. Um, and in that church as, as well as where, um, yeah, where I gave my life to Christ, um, which was quite special. Um, the, the church we were a part of as a family was quite a Pentecostal, like signs and wonders um, kind of church. Um, but it was a really awesome environment for me to learn about worship, um, quite expressive. Um, yeah, and just a cool way to see a, a different form of worship. Um, when I was five, I got to graduate from Crash and go to Big Kids Church for the first time. Um, yeah, and that was pretty, pretty awesome, pretty daunting. All the kids are taller than you. Um, but they, they gave an altar call on the first time that I got to go up there. Um, and they said, this is just for the big kids tonight. Um, but if you want to invite Jesus into your heart, um, yeah, you just you think about that and um, you can put up your hand and you can say a quiet prayer. And I was like, you know what? It's not just for them tonight, it's for me. Um, yeah, so that was the night that I chose that I wanted to be um, a Christian and that I wanted to invite Jesus into my heart. Um, yeah, which was cool. So not long after that, we moved to Auckland um, 
we went to a family church for a few years um, and then um, we set into um, what was the most formative years of faith building for me. Um, so we went to another Pentecostal church um, called Life. Um, and I'm really thankful for my parents um, for taking us to a place that, um, yeah, just encouraged us and grew our faith. Um, gave me a lot of opportunities to attend events, camps and conferences. Um, and it was at those places where I really chose God for myself and formed my own faith. There was one event, um, it was pretty outrageous. It was, a, it was this Holy Spirit weekend. I can't remember like the, the line that it was called, being like power or something like that. Um, and this American pastor called Jason, he came, he was speaking. Um, and there was preaching, there was hours and hours of like prayer and worship and healing. Um, it was pretty intense. Um, and I, I went along with my older brothers um, and the preacher said, he stood at the front, he was like, no one's leaving this building unless you pray in tongues. And I was like, holy moly, like that's full on, eh? Um, and he was like, so you've you got to come to the front if you can't speak in tongues. And I was like, sitting in my chair, this little 11 year old, I was like, no, thank you. I don't want, I don't want to go to the front. Like you're freaking me out. Um, so I just sat in my chair and I said, um, yeah, Jesus, can you give me the gift? Um, yeah. And it was right there in my seat that I started speaking in tongues. Um, and this was a moment, I think, of just putting myself aside um, and letting God be present. It was also mixed with a bit of fear um, of the intense preacher who also carried around a sweat towel um, while he prayed for people and slayed them in the spirit. So I was like, mixed with a bit of like healthy, healthy godly fear and healthy fear of this man. Um, so fast forward a few more years, um, some more camps, conferences, Holy Spirit nights, um, and I chose to be baptized. This was another really pivotal moment in my Christian walk as I invited my friends from school, um, my grandparents, um, and I acknowledged my community that I wanted to surrender my life to Jesus. When I reflect on these moments, I'm struck most by the idea of surrender. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally to us. We want to be in control, but Jesus calls us to surrender our lives to him, to humble ourselves, to submit, and to tell a different story with our lives, asking God to be in control. Worship requires surrender. So point one, all people are made to worship. If you aren't worshiping God, there's something that you're worshiping. To be able to worship God, we need to be rid of the idols in our lives. And to be able to do that, we first need to acknowledge what those are. In our culture, this can be a lot harder to identify than in the Old Testament. We see so clearly throughout the Old Testament, when Israel is freed from Egypt and wandering through the desert, that they get off track time after time, making idols and worshiping those. Throughout scripture, we get the idea that God is a jealous God and he wants our attention. We first hear this in Exodus 20, when the 10 commandments are given to the Israelites after God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. It says, then God gave the people instructions. I am the Lord your God who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. You must not have any other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on, in the sea. You must not bow down or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for any other gods. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children. Their entire family is affected, even children in the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. I'll just repeat that again. You must not have any other God but me. Now, the idea of jealousy can sound a bit weird and possessive, 
But the reason God is a jealous, that God is jealous, is because he so desperately wants to be in relationship with us. The idols in our culture aren't necessarily golden calves, but they hold just as much power to distract us and take us away from God, what God wants from us, to have our full attention. Now, we could go into real depth on idols um, and, and all of that, but um, you can simply stop and ask God to show you what's one thing that's an idol in your life at the moment. What's one thing that's taking your attention away from worshipping him? It could be really big or it could be small. Earlier this year, I realized one of mine is Instagram, which is a bit, you know, shocker, I know. Um, but it was something I needed to bring into check. I'd spent hours scrolling, comparing myself to other people, to friends and strangers, and it continued to lower what I thought of myself, which is completely the opposite of what time spent in worship to God is. It might seem really minor to some of you, and I don't want us to get caught up in the complexity of what the thing is. But we, what we should do is come before God and ask him what's taking our attention away from him and worship with him. For me, I started comparing myself to others so much that I lost joy out of every day. I was seeing the weather somewhere else and thinking, I wish I was there instead of being present to the, to the day I had been given. The process of surrendering Instagram was itself an act of worship to set aside the idol as God had prompted me to, to say, yeah, you've got a point, Jesus and I want to worship you, not this content that I'm being fed. Since then, I've had more headspace, less distraction, and more time to listen to God. I've been able to talk with him, notice and delight in him during the day more easily. This ongoing choice not just to scroll and live within the boundaries is a choice of surrender. What are the idols we have in our lives that get in the way and that are easier and more accessible for us to worship than God? I think Paul sums this experience up well in 1 Corinthians 10. I'm not condemning you or saying there's only one way to live, but I am saying we need to surrender our idols and worship God in all the ways we can. Whether that be in how we speak, how we encourage, how we celebrate our families, how we show up at work, we have God's grace, so we don't need to walk around on eggshells. But we also need to know that we're not any better than the Israelites. We can easily be distracted and muddle our way into worshipping idols. So we need to be aware of the battle we're in. Paul writes this from the perspective of the community working out how they want to be together and how they want to be in relationship with God. I'm encouraged to consider how we can think about this in our community. Point two. We are invited to surrender our hearts to God. It's not just enough to give him our attention. We need to have our hearts open. Devotion, love, attention, they can't come from a closed heart. But it is hard to keep our hearts open. Life is difficult. Things go wrong. People we love die or hurt us. Our health fails us. All of these often make us feel like God is a long way away. We know through scripture that God understands this. Worship doesn't just look like coming to God when things are all good. We're invited to lament and worship too. My granddad showed me how to do this. When I was 16, my nana was in a, um, a serious car accident and died. The death was really unexpected and shocking, um, and there was a lot of grief for my family. Most of all, my granddad, who had been married to her for almost 50 years. 
I felt upset and angry and wanted to blame God. But I saw my granddad continue to surrender himself to God each morning in worship. This was often a simple prayer at breakfast, acknowledging that although he was feeling deep pain, that God was in control. This didn't take away the fact that he missed her or wanted her back, but he knew that the Lord had her and he continued to worship, teaching us to do the same. About a week or two after the accident and the funeral, I went to a camp on Poor Nui Island with some people in my youth group. It was rugged, tenting, long drop, no showers, and you know enough reasons to not want to be there. Um, and given what had happened just a week or so before, I certainly didn't want to worship God. But in the little room we had, with just a guitar and a few people singing, I experienced God's love and worship and felt prompted to open my heart to him again. I thought of my granddad and all that he had lost and how he was still able to get up each morning and declare the goodness of God. His example softened my heart and allowed me to open myself up to worship. I'm not saying this is a one and done type of thing. Doesn't mean that we do it once and it's all over. It's a daily choice to open our hearts to God, to be honest about how we really are. This will look like lament or songs of joy. 1 Samuel 13 says, fear God and worship him honestly and heartily. It's not even about the way we are worshiping, but about the posture of our heart. As Connor talked about last week, worship can be in ordinary places like washing our dishes, going for a walk, sitting alone in our rooms, or it can be corporately singing together with others. In the Psalms, we see examples of worship, both in speaking out our deep pain and also rejoicing in our great wins. Both hold the knowledge that when we worship, God is there, he's present, and he hears us. As we surrender our hearts to God and worship, we become more like him. Point three. Worship is about remembering God's goodness in our life. Worship is about remembering God's goodness in our life. So one of the reasons I wanted to share about my testimony at the beginning um, was also just to remind myself, why did I become a Christian? Why did I choose to surrender to God? Reflecting on the big and small moments help us to remember what God has done in our lives. Thinking about the way we lived before and what life was like after usually helps us to measure that. We can so easily forget why we became a Christian or the good things that he's done, our testimony, and why we initially chose to surrender to him. So I have this friend who, um, she moved to the Middle East as a missionary a few years ago. Um, the organization she's now part of went to the area to support Syrian refugees during the Civil War. And they provide healthcare um, and a bunch of other things. So they set up camp in a few different places during the height of the war, um, and they witnessed some pretty incredible things. She talks about worshiping um, in song while they could hear gunfire and bombs going off in the background. But they saw Jesus move in some amazing ways. When things got a bit trickier, they moved to um, a village that was a bit closer to the border and were told that they needed to be prepared to leave at any time in case the rebels came to attack them. So one night they were worshipping together um, and someone came and told them the rebels are on their way. They had 20 minutes to pack up um, all their things and say goodbye to everyone in the village. They had to get to the border and escape, um, which they were completely devastated about. It would be so easy to forget God was in the situation at all, all of the good things that he'd done, forgetting the redemptive work he had done, ultimately forgetting the powerful moments of worship they'd had. 
in the middle of winter when I don't want to come to church, when I don't want to leave my house, when it's raining and cold. I'm reminded of my friend and her story of worshipping in a war zone. I'm encouraged to remember where God has moved in my life and to hold on to those promises because he is redemptive. I'm also encouraged to remember the way God has moved in the lives of um, those in our community because sharing those is also an act of worship. That's why good stories are so powerful. Each good story we share is an act of remembering what God has done. It's worship. In the Old Testament, to help Israelites remember what God did for them, they built altars so they could not only remember, but mark the places holy. Wouldn't that be cool if we still did that now? How could we make our altars? What would those look like? How can we mark the places where God's moved so that we can remember him? 1 Corinthians 15 says, When we worship in the right way, God doesn't stir us up into confusion. He brings us into harmony. How cool is that? So three years ago, my granddad passed away. When I went to his house to see him after he passed, I noticed this cross stitch above his bed, which said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. My granddad's life was one big act of worship. The last seven years of his life without my nana were really hard. But he showed me how the three points I've talked about are lived out. Point one, we're all made to worship. Point two, we're invited to surrender our hearts to God. And point three, worship is about remembering God's goodness in our life. Um, so, yeah, as I come to the end of this, um, we're going to have the musicians up um, and we're going to have a chance to, um, to think and to reflect um, on some of the things that I've shared. Um, yeah, and as we go into this time, um, I just invite you, encourage you to think about the following things. Is there something that you're holding on to that God is asking you to surrender so that you can worship him more fully? With that thing surrendered, how is God calling you to worship him? And is there a promise that God has fulfilled in your life that you want to give thanks for again? So I'll just hand over um, to Jess and the crew.